Man, it is such a privilege to be with you today. It is such a privilege to stand here. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to continue this series where we're talking about unfulfilled expectations. Is there a better week to talk about unfulfilled expectations than the week after Valentine's Day? Can we just talk about Happy Disappointment Day to everybody for just a moment? Because there are two things that happen on Valentine's Day. One, you are either disappointed or two, you are broke. It is one of the two possible outcomes of that day. You know, I know so many people, it's such a hard day, you're just reminded like, hey, I was feeling lonely. Thanks for the whole world reminding me how lonely I feel. I say to people all the time, the only thing worse than being alone and lonely is being together and lonely, right? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. As we talk about unfulfilled expectations, Pastor's done a great job so far in this series talking about, like, maybe things didn't go the way that I planned, and God, where were you on this one? Today, we're going to talk about each other a little bit. Y'all been talking about each other anyway. We're just going to do it from the pulpit right now. We're going to talk about unhealthy expectations that maybe we have with one another. We're going to talk about some of the dysfunction that exists in our own relationship. And this is a sad fact, but a true fact. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling like you're a mess, when you're feeling like, man, my life isn't how it's supposed to be. My boss isn't who I thought he would be. My job isn't what I thought it would be. My wife isn't who I thought she would be. My kids are kind of goofy. You know, like when things just, when you just feel like it's a mess, this is sad, but true. It is nice to know there are people worse off, right? Like, don't we look at other people's stories and say, whew. And so we're going to look to the scripture a little bit right now and see, like, maybe the original dysfunctional family story. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 9, we're going to look at Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And some of you know that story up front, and you're like, oh, yeah, that is worse off than what I'm going through. Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Let me set the stage for you a little bit. This guy, Jacob. Now, Jacob is one of God's chosen ones. Abraham, God spoke to Abraham, said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this inheritance. It's going to be to your descendants. The whole earth is going to be blessed through you. He was talking about how Jesus would end up coming through the line of Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, and now the guy we're talking about today, Jacob. But here's the thing. Jacob, he was kind of a me first guy. He was always looking out for himself. His name actually means heel catcher, one who trips somebody up. He was constantly trying to get ahead. We see him when his brother was born. He's grabbing his heel right out the womb. We see him when his brother's hungry. He's like, well, sell me your inheritance for this bowl of soup. We see him when it comes time for his brother to be blessed. Jacob goes in at his mother's urging and pretends to be his twin brother Esau, you know, so that he can get the blessing instead. Jacob, he's always looking out for number one. And what I love is God still chose him. Don't you love that God chooses imperfect people? Man, I don't care how messed up you are today or how far you are from where you're supposed to be. God isn't done with you. I'm just so glad. Pastor Pat nailed it with that scripture when he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so Jacob, he had just stolen the blessing right out from underneath his brother, and his his dad's getting old, and he's ready to die, and and Esau, his twin brother, is so angry that he's going to kill him, right? And he's like, I'm just going to wait for dad to die, and then I'm going to kill him. And he made it very known. And so, so Jacob's mother again urges him, head off. You know, we don't, we don't want this bloodshed here. And so here's Jacob who's trying so hard, me first to be number one, and he ends up leaving with nothing but the clothes on his back. So many times that's what happens when I'm looking out for myself, when I'm trying to take care of my own needs, when I'm not looking for what the Lord's going to give, but I want to take it, I want to grab it. 
you end up leaving with nothing. You got what you wanted and you got nothing. And so Jacob, he's running away, but God meets him while he's running because God's faithful even when we aren't. And so God kind of reminds him of his promise and reminds him of his hands on his life. And Jacob, he's feeling good now. And so he goes off to find this people he's supposed to be looking for. And he runs up and he sees this shepherdess, Rachel, right? It's his cousin. That's weird now that he fell in love with his cousin, but it wasn't weird back then. Some of our customs would be weird to then. And so he sees this girl and he just does what most of us guys did the first time we saw the girl who just captured our heart. He just acts like an idiot, right? And so, so there's this big, they're all there to water the sheep, and it's the middle of the day, and it's hot out. There's this big rock over the well, and, you know, all these shepherds are standing around. He's like, what you waiting for? They're like, ah, we need more shepherds so we can move the stone. And Jacob sees this girl, you know, looking all fine over there. And so he's like, oh, and he just, like, picks it up and starts walking around with the stone because he wants to show her how tough she is. And when he sees her, he asks who she is, and she says who she is, and he's the one she's been looking for. He just grabs her and kisses her full on. Like, this guy is a passionate dude. And so he goes back and he meets her dad, this guy Laban. Now Laban, he's kind of a slippery guy too. He's a tricky guy. And so Laban, he's living with him for a while. And Laban remembers how rich Jacob's dad is. And so he's interested in Jacob staying around, see what he can get out of the deal. And after about a month, he says, hey, why should you just be working for me for nothing just because we're family? Why don't you name your price? Jacob says, I'll work for you seven years if I can marry your daughter, Rachel. That's a bold statement, right? And, 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 Jacob, and Laban's like, that sounds good to me, man. And so they, they strike the deal. And for seven years, Jacob works for Laban in order to get Rachel. Laban, it says, had, had two children, right? He had two daughters. Leah was the older and Rachel was the younger. And the Bible talks about Rachel being beautiful. And the Bible, it doesn't use a lot of descriptive words, but it says she's lovely in form and appearance. And so you can use your imagination. Rachel was a knockout, man. She was lovely in form and appearance, right? She had it all working. And Jacob, it says that, but Leah, it says Leah had delicate eyes. Now I started studying like, what does delicate eyes mean? And it turns out like nobody, nobody can put this together. Some commentators are like, she had blue eyes. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's it because the Bible was very clear that Rachel was the beautiful one and Leah, she had delicate. Some people think that, you know, it meant that she didn't see real well. She was kind of Mr. Magoo, like kind of walking around talking to a tree thinking it was Jacob. Everybody's just kind of looking at her like, Leah, what are you doing? Some people think that she had like crazy eyes, you know, like going in every direction all at once. And Jacob's like, Whoa! you know, like, hey, Leah, you know, what's going on? And so, so this is the way that it is. And so the seven years go by and, and Jacob goes to Laban and, and, and it says these seven years go by, but they were like a couple of days because he was so in love. Can we all just say it together? Aww. Nah, y'all wrong. This dude's messed up. He goes walking up to Laban right after that, and he says, give me your daughter that I may lie with her. <laughs> that, that's kind of nasty to say to your, your father-in-law, right? Like, he just, he just puts it right out there. Like, this is what I w-. But this is Jacob. Jacob's me first. Jacob isn't about, Rachel, I want to love you. I want to care for you. I want to be there for you. Jacob's all like, woman, you fine? And that's all I can think about. And Jacob, he's me first. And so Laban, he's the snake. He's a slippery guy. He says, let's have a party, man. And so he gets this party going. It can be implied that the wine was flowing pretty good. Everybody was excited. It's been going on. And Jacob, he goes into his tent, right, brings his new wife in, you know, falls asleep. 
wakes up with that big dopey grin on his face. You know, they consummate the marriage, so to speak, and, and he just wakes up. Now, can you imagine this moment? He wakes up, big goofy grin on his face. Seven years he's been waiting, and he just got what he wanted, what he's been waiting for for seven years. And he turns around, and, and he's laying there, and he wakes up. And he rolls over, and there's Leah. Hey, Jake. You know, oh, no, no. And Jacob, can you imagine this moment? Jacob, what does that look like in the tent? Jacob said, like, what do you what do you even say? And it says that he went and he confronted his father-in-law. What do you even say to Laban at that moment? You go walking out and there's your father-in-law. Laban's standing there like, kind of like, good morning. You know, like, like, what's this like? And Jacob, like, does he even have words? Like, just, no. Like, Laban says, we have this tradition here. See, the oldest gets married first and then the youngest. Jacob immediately reminded to trying to sneak his brother out of the birthright and out of the blessing. He says, do this, Jacob. Fulfill your week with Leah. Take your honeymoon. And then I'll give you Rachel at the end of the week. But you got to work another seven years for her. How bad's your situation look right now? Let's, let's break this down for just a second. Because if you're feeling like your relationships are a mess, here's a summary of this current situation that Jacob, Rachel, and Leah find themselves in. You probably weren't forced by your dad to marry a man that you knew didn't want to be with you, only to have him marry your gorgeous sister a week later. I'm betting that you didn't spend seven years working for a relationship only to wake up with the wrong person. You didn't watch the man of your dreams being tricked into marrying your sister a week before he was supposed to marry you. You may not love your job or your boss, but you aren't committed to staying with him for the next seven years because you've already been paid for those years and you can't get out of it. Or maybe, maybe that is you today. Maybe your situation is exactly like that. Maybe you're like Leah and you're married to someone who would rather be with someone else. Maybe this morning you're like Rachel and you're married to someone and you feel like you have to share them with another. Maybe you're like Jacob and after seven years you feel like the person that you're with isn't the person that you signed up to be with. Maybe your boss has lied to you but you feel luck, like you're stuck and there's no way out. Before we talk about the solutions, let's dive a little bit deeper into their stories. And Genesis 29.31, I love this. It says in Genesis 29.31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Gang, I'm so glad that God sees the people who are feeling unloved. There are people who are unloved, and there are people who are just feel unloved. Make sure that your eyes are wide open so you don't misdiagnose your situation. Sometimes our feelings are the biggest liars in our life. But something for you today if you're feeling like Leah. If you're walking in here and you're saying, no, I, I identify with Leah. I identify with crazy eyes over there with a gorgeous sister. If you're the one who's been rejected, maybe dad didn't stick around. Maybe mom doesn't take an interest. Maybe your husband cares more about work than you. Maybe your wife's more interested in Facebook than you. 
Maybe you don't get the invites to the party. Maybe no one gets excited when you walk into the room. Listen to this verse. When God saw that Leah was unloved, he opened up her womb. Hear this today, church. When Jacob rejected her, God had chosen her. You hear that? God's a lot better than Jacob. I encourage you this week, go back and read this story. You're going to find out Jacob, Jacob wasn't that great. He wasn't really all that he was cracked up to be. Jacob was chasing Rachel, but God was choosing Leah. You hear that? Jacob was chasing Rachel, but God was choosing Leah. Stop looking at the outward to see what God's doing. Stop taking your identity based on what other people think and start getting your identity based off of who God is. Do you feel rejected today? Recognize that God chose you before the foundations of the earth. Recognize that God knows the plans that he has for you, plans that are for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And recognize that Jacob was a selfish man and he was never going to be the source of anyone's happiness because he was only interested in his own. People like that can't fulfill you. Look to the God who made you, the God who knows you, the God who's choosing you. Ladies, he's never going to be the one to satisfy you. Guys, you might catch her, but she ain't going to fill that hole. I'm just telling you, that's not how it works. Genesis 29, 32. So God sees Leah. God chose Leah. So Leah conceived and bore a son. And called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Correct. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Incorrect. Leah was chosen by God, but was still desiring approval and acceptance from her husband. The name Reuben, it means behold a man, behold a son. You know, sons were important back then. They could work the land with you. They were going to carry on that lineage. There was a source of strength. And she thought, because I had a son, now he's going to choose me. Because I'm producing, he's going to choose me. Because of what I can can give him, he's going to choose me now. But she ends up disappointed. Because in verse 33, it says, then she conceived again and bore a son. So we don't have any context in here. We just got from verse 32 to 33. And she says, now he's going to love me. But here we are in verse 33. Then she conceived again and bore a son. So because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon means heard, or in this case, God heard me. My husband still doesn't love me even after I gave him a son. Now she's giving me another, he's giving me another one. God's heard me. And you'd think like, oh man, she's, she's getting it. Like the Lord's got her back, right? But no, because in verse 34, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. That word Levi means joined to or attached to. At this point, how much of this is about being loved and how much of it is about beating her sister? Think about this. How much of this is about, oh, my husband, who's going to satisfy my needs, he's going to choose me, and how much of it was just good old-fashioned sibling rivalry? How much of it was about recognizing her own worth and how much of it was just about winning? How much of it was about, I'm just going to enjoy my sons. This is what the Lord's given me. Clearly, the Lord's looked on me favorably, and I can just enjoy what I have. No, I want more. Leah missed it. My husband will love me now, she says, 
Are you trying to get someone to love you based on what you can produce? It doesn't work. Validation. Leah producing things that she hopes will give her Jacob's attention. She wants to feel feel validated by what she's able to produce. Until God is enough for you, that thing won't be either. You hear that? Until God is enough for you, that thing won't be either. And you know that this is true because you've got these things in your life where you've set this vision out, like, when I get this, then. But you get there, and it's fine for a minute. But when I get this, then. Well, when I get this, then. I remember when I was a kid, you know, when I, when I graduate high school, that's going to be the greatest of all time. And don't get me wrong, it was. But, but then... Now there's college, and then there's college, and now there's, yeah, but who am I going to marry? And then you get married, but will I have kids? And then you have kids. It's, well, what about my career? Where am I? And it just, it, it's, a, it's a dog chasing its tail, gang. If you're looking to be satisfied by those things, you're never going to get there. You are going to keep chasing and chasing and chasing. You're like that hamster on a wheel thinking he's going to go, so you just stand there alone. Until God is enough for you, nothing else will ever be. No feeling. No relationship, no accomplishment, no possession. It's not going to do it. Let's talk about Rachel. You can skip down a little bit. and You see, this gets weird. Like at one point, you know, Leah's sons are out, and he finds some, some fruit out in the field and brings them back. And Rachel's like, hey, can I have some of your son's fruit? And she's like, first, you, Leah's all, well, you stole my husband. Now you're going to take my son's mandrakes. Like, can we get a little more catty? Like, do we make, can we be more petty in things in the way that we live? And she goes, fine, give me a couple of mandrakes, and Jacob will sleep with you tonight. How do you like to be Jacob in this situation? He comes walking in from the field, and Rachel's sitting there eating like, no, you're going with Leah tonight. These are delicious. You know, and Jacob's just like, wait, I'm worth fruit. This is what I'm worth now to you is fruit. Seven years of work and fruit is what you're willing to sell me for. The sibling rivalry continues. The tension builds and it develops. And in verse or chapter 30, verse one, it says this. Now we look at Rachel. So Leah, she's trying to produce and get approval. Rachel, the beautiful one, Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. What are you supposed to do with that, man? Right? Like, like you get home from work and your wife just grabs you by the collar and is like, if you don't give me a kid, I'm going to die. Huh? Like, is that really completely in my control? And Jacob says exactly that. He's like, what, am I in the place of God now? Like, this isn't my fault. You know, I got kids. Jacob's just not with you. Jacob just piles on again. If you're only out for yourself, ladies, if he's only after that one thing, he's not going to make you happy. He's never going to be looking out for your needs. Let's break this down. Rachel was desirable but unproductive. She couldn't give Jacob what she thought he really wanted. Rachel was miserable. She had the approval without the accomplishment. You hear that? She was beautiful. She had the approval without the accomplishment. Leah had the accomplishment without the approval. Rachel, so beautiful but so miserable. You know what I've learned in eight years as a youth pastor? The popular kids are just as miserable as the unpopular ones. Like, it's just a different version of it. Like, they're just as insecure, and they're just as, but it's a different version of it. Are you spending your life trying to catch up with someone who in reality is just as miserable as you? 
Let's talk about unhealthy expectations for a minute. As we talk about unfulfilled expectations, let's talk about unhealthy expectations. Leah was miserable because she had kids. (laughs) I could stop the sentence there. No, keep going. Leah was miserable because she had kids but didn't have the looks. Rachel was miserable because she had the looks but didn't have the kids. We're all so quick to notice what we don't have, right? We compare and we compete, and that becomes our source of happiness and our source of joy. That's the American way. We're all so quick to notice what we don't have. We're all so quick to desire what we feel is lacking in our own lives. We rarely notice what it is that we're actually blessed with. We end up miserable because we're so caught up with the lack that we fail to enjoy the fullness of what we have. Unfulfilled expectations. When I'm disappointed, what fell through? Think about that in your life. What are your greatest sources of disappointment today? as it pertains to relationships. What need wasn't met? Why wasn't it done? What stood in the way? Let's talk about unhealthy expectations. And here's the tough question. Here's the one that we don't like. Here's the turn in the story. Is it possible that my unfulfilled expectations is not their fault but mine? Is it possible that they're not the problem but I am? Listen to what Rachel said in Genesis 31. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Rachel envied her sister. Isn't most of our disappointment a result of comparing and competing? Envy is so ugly. I don't care how beautiful you are. Envy is so ugly. I remember I had these friends out in England, and uh, there were four of us. We were really, really close. And there was this one, and the girls, they were, they were beautiful. It was my, my best friend's uh, sister and his girlfriend. And we were waiting to go out to dinner one night, the four of us, and it took the girls like two and a half hours to get ready past when we were supposed to go. I was just like, why are we still waiting? We can have a great time without them. Let's go. And I'll never forget this guy, Jeff Quazzo. He was one of the, the professors at the campus. He came walking by. He's like, what are you guys still doing here? We said, we're waiting for the girls. He looked at me, he goes, that's marriage training. And he just kept walking. Like, and I was just like, what a- what does that mean? And so when, when little Amy got down there and she came in, I said, what on earth could have happened like two and a half hours? Like he already likes you. It was John's, John's girlfriend. I said, he already thinks you're beautiful. And I'll never forget what she said back to me. She goes, oh, girls don't look good. So guys will notice they look good. They look good so that the other girls notice how much better. They, and I was like, I have a lot to learn about life, clearly. Like, y'all are twisted, man. Like, like, what is going on in there? I don't care how beautiful Rachel was. She envied her sis. Envy so ugly. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. You've gained a lot. Envy stems from discontentment. Envy makes the other person the bad guy because they have what you don't and you want it. Envy refuses to rejoice in someone else's joy. Oh, I've been trying for this and I haven't got it, and so I can't be happy for this person that did get it. Man, be careful. That's poison in your soul. 
oh man, I worked so hard for that promotion and I'm way better than this person who ended up getting it. Man, man, who are you going to hurt with that attitude? You think they're going to rethink their decision over it? Envy has blinders on. When you envy, it stems from greed. You can't see the whole picture. You can only see this little piece right in front of you. You don't get to enjoy what you do have because you're so focused on what you don't. And so she says to Jacob, here she's got the man that she wanted, and Leah's over there feeling lonely. And she says to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Here's the next thing, guys. Envy leads to unrealistic expectations. When I envy something, all of a sudden I don't have perspective anymore and my expectations of people goes crazy. My expectations of myself get all out of line and all out of whack. Jacob comes back and says, am I in the place of God? Is my wife the problem or have I been comparing? Is the problem that my spouse didn't come through or that my expectations of my spouse are unrealistic? It's funny, we're doing this, uh, this pre-marriage counseling thing. We use this thing, it's called Symbus, and it, you answer a bunch of questions and turn them in, and it kind of helps us see your profile and your background, and like, here's some areas that you might bump into. And so Pam and I went through it just to see, you know, like, what, what comes up. And the first thing, the first red flag that came up for me is your expectations of her may be unrealistic, right? And I, I'm reading this, like, two years ago in my living room, and I was like, where was this 10 years ago? Like, do you have any idea how much pain could have been saved? Because it's true, my expectations of my wife for years were just ridiculous. Like, they were so far beyond because I was busy comparing. This is what I would do in this situation. Why wouldn't you just do that? I had blinders on. I was missing the reality of the situation. Is the problem that my boss is demanding or that my efforts weren't what they needed to be? Is the problem that God isn't changing anything or that I haven't applied his word? Is the problem that my boss is an idiot or that my pride is blinding me to the bigger picture? I think I see the whole thing when I'm only seeing a sliver, and so I can't understand why he'd make that decision. Is the problem that my friends don't meet my needs or that my needs aren't really their responsibility? Is the problem that my expectations of myself are so high that I'll never meet them or that I need to manage my time and energy better? Is the problem that my spouse is disinterested or that I'm focusing on what's important to me rather than what's important to them? I remember a few years ago, I was feeling kind of, you know, you get to those places in your marriage where you're like, we got to have a talk, you know. And, and so Pam and I were talking, and I was talking about, like, man, you don't even notice the things that I try to do for you. And she's like, what are you talking about? I always notice. I said, no. Every time that I go out and get ice cream, she had this favorite ice cream. It was called Lady Liberty. I didn't like it that much. It was, like, mint, and it had these, like, cookie swirl in it. And stuff. But I'm not a big fan of mint. And so, like, but this is my wife, and so I'm going to get ice cream. And so I got Lady Liberty for her because I love my wife, and I want to prefer my wife, and I want want to take care of my wife, and, and ice cream is love, and so give her ice cream and the type that she wants, and clearly I'm taking care of your needs, but then turned out my wife is the only person in the world who liked this ice cream, so they discontinued it, and so now i got to find a different ice cream that she likes, and she doesn't like chocolate like I do, and she doesn't like the caramel like I do, she's really just not that into sweets, and so I'm buying all these ice creams that Pam will like, and I say to her, like, and you don't even care, and she just looks at me with this, like, huh, and she's like, honey, I don't like ice cream. Get what you want. And I'm like, 
it was just one of those like light bulb moments where like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I feel loved when you buy me the ice cream that I love, like clearly, you know, but I am well loved folks, you know, but my wife couldn't care less about that, but I'm trying to meet her needs according to my standards. This is going to, this is what I would want, so I'll give it to her. It's the golden rule, right? No, man, go beyond that. What is she desiring? What makes her feel safe? What makes her feel built up? What makes her feel secured? What makes her feel valued? I still don't know. If you know, please let me know what makes my wife feel valued, please. It's not ice cream. Let me ask you this one. Is the problem that the pastor's advice, uh-oh. I need to just, I should have put more in my notes so I could read and stay in a safe place. Is the problem that the pastor's advice isn't working or that you're not applying it? Can I just tell you about this couple? I need to be so careful right now. Lord, forgive me. If I'm not here next week, it's because of this story. Um, <clears throat> There is this couple who just constantly would be coming and calling and needing. And, 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 and I love, there's nothing I love more than walking with people and discipling. Like, that's, that's what butters my bread. That's what gets me going. Like, I love, like, you're here and you want, let's go. Let's go together. Let me put my arm around you. I don't know much, but what I know I'll share with you. This woman would call me, and I would literally, like, answer the phone. Whoa, you know, she just starts going off about her husband. You couldn't get, I talk a lot, and I'm good with words. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. And for me to not be able to do that, like my brother's sitting somewhere thinking like, welcome to my life growing up, you know, but I literally, I'm not exaggerating. I muted my phone so she couldn't hear what I, and I sat there and just continued. I was doing like some graphic design stuff, 40 minutes. I don't think she breathed. I was really worried that she was just going to pass out and collapse. And her husband would be the same way. He would come in and he would talk and blah, 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 blah. And like, well, you guys need to come in together. And we'd give the advice. You need to do this. 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 And they just keep coming in and coming in and coming in. And finally, I got both of them on the couch together, right? They're sitting in my office on the couch together. And I'm sitting there looking at them. And they're saying, like, nothing's working. And I said, well, we talked about this last time. Did you do it? Well, I, we started to. I started to get dressed this morning. You know, like I finished the process because that's what's required for success. Did you do what was asked of you? Well, no. Then what do you want from me? How do you think I can help you if you're not willing to apply what's being taught to you? Teaching is only as good as the application. Do you understand that? Now, please don't take this the wrong way. I, we love when people come in. We want to walk with you, and we want to see you successful. But I'm going to tell you up front, sometimes y'all have unhealthy expectations. Let me say it again. Sometimes y'all have unhealthy expectations. I can't fix your marriage. You can. Jesus can. The Holy Spirit is called the helper. He's there to help you. But if you ain't willing to work with him, then quit blaming God. Quit blaming me. Quit blaming poor Pastor Pat. Man, the dude works hard. <laughs> Y'all should clap. That's the truth.
This couple said nothing works but hadn't actually done anything. It's the truth. We put unhealthy expectations on people and then get so disappointed and so upset and so hurt because they didn't meet the level that I expected them to meet. They were supposed to do this and they didn't. They were supposed to get here and they didn't. They were supposed to, you can't, if you don't give me children, I'll die. It was nice knowing you. (laughs) Sorry. So what's the solution, gang? Because it's hard to change expectations. It's hard to even recognize when you're the problem. And I just assume most of the time that I'm the problem, but it's still hard to put your finger on it. How do we find it? How do we, I mean, sometimes you walk in this, it's like you're in a fog, and it's like I don't even know where I am, no less where I need to be. Now, I'm about to give you an answer, and some of y'all are going to turn me off like that. Because you can say, oh, of course a pastor's going to say that. Because you know it. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The reason that you're going to roll your eyes is because you're like that couple on my couch. You've heard it, but you haven't done it. I'm going to tell you right now, the place to start with this, the place to start with this is prayer. There is a reason that prayer is the emphasis of this church. There is a reason that prayer is what everything is built around. I don't understand prayer, but I know that it moves the hand of God, and I know that it changes the heart of me. I don't understand it, but I get it. Let me talk to you about prayer. Prayer changes my focus. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. She envied her sister, and here was the problem. But when I start praying, when I say, Lord, what is it that you want? Lord, I'm here to serve you. Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life. Lord, let me just start off like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, let me just tell you who you are, Lord. Let me praise you for your glory. You're in heaven. I'm on earth. I need to remember that sometime. Hallowed be your name. You're holy. That means you're perfect. That means that your will for me is perfect. That means that what you've given me is perfect and what you've withheld from me is perfect. It means that your grace in my life is perfect. It means that your love in my life is perfect. And it means that your justice in my life is perfect. So where I am is because of you for the good things and because of me for the wrong. And so here I am, Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, I've been so busy focusing on what I want. Why don't I have kids like my sister has? Why don't I look like my sister does? Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I remember a pastor, Gail Irwin, said once, he goes, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, Does anybody think about heaven and think about it being like a miserable place? Like, oh, heaven, got to go there. No, man, heaven's the goal, right? Heaven's the destination. I can't wait to get there. Maybe the great thing about heaven is that God's will is always being done there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Let it start right here as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Then I get into, here's what I need, Lord. But not our daily bread and wine and Maserati and big house and vacation. and No, no, no. Lord, give me what I need. You know what I need. Maybe you do need a vacation. The Lord knows. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lord, I need to remember where I've failed. 
that's going to put where they've failed into perspective. David says, search my heart and show me if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, am I even viewing this situation wrong? Because then as we forgive those, oh, isn't grace a beautiful thing? As we forgive those who've trespassed against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the honor forever. When I pray, I set my things or my mind on things above. It removes it from the things of this earth. When my focus on Jesus is right, he has a way of straightening out my focus on everything else. You know what's happened in those years since that conversation that we needed to have? I started praying for my wife more. And I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't like I should have been. But it's how the day starts. It's throughout the day, and it's at the end of the day. I'm praying for my wife. You know what I see when I see Pam now? Man, I see the blessing. Now when I compare wives, because sometimes you can't help. You just notice this person does this. We're all gifted in different ways. But when I compare now, Pam always wins. Oh, she might not be as organized as this person, but she's so much better in this area. I wouldn't want to deal with that in that person's area. Oh, she might not be this with this, but but it doesn't matter because she's so great here. Pam always wins. There's no one more beautiful. There's no one sweeter. There's no one more engaging. There's no one kinder. There's no one more supportive. Pam hasn't changed. I did. And it was prayer that changed my mind on that. It was prayer that just opened my eyes to what I actually had rather than what I thought I wanted. Those expectations that were unrealistic, now I recognize, like, what's the matter with you, man? Why would you put that on her? Like, look at all she does, and you're going to put that on her too? Come on, man. I want to say this now. Because of my prayer life and the fact that the Lord has given me an incredible wife, there is no one who I would rather share a meal with, no one I would rather share a bed with. She's my one and only. And she's the only one I want. And that's the beauty of what the Lord will do. I was talking with someone years ago. We were sitting on my back patio. This person was having some marriage problems, and he was talking about somebody else that was having some marriage problems, and we'd been working with him, and so he knew that that, that was just a big. And he goes, all due respect, Bob, you and Pastor Pat are married to Pam and Tina. And I'll never forget this. He goes, we're not all married to Pam and Tina. I looked him dead in the eye. I said, whose fault is that? Because under the proper care, and they blossom. And that goes both ways. I'm not just talking to the men today. This goes both ways. When I pray for my daughter, my daughter and I, we butt heads because, quite frankly, what she inherited from me, she inherited a lot of my weaknesses. And I see my weaknesses in her, and so it gets me riled up a little bit quicker. But when I stop and I pray for her, man, do I have a beautiful daughter. I see her for the beauty that she is. I see her mother's sweetness in her. I see the most joyful girl who's ever lived. I'm living the dream with these kids. 
but my perspective has to be right. My expectations of my daughter, she's eight. Stop treating her like she's 28. Stop expecting her to be you or to be your, man, there's got to be room for growth there. There's got to be grace. When I pray for my son, I start seeing the dangers before they come so I can have the conversations of warning rather than the conversations of correction. When I set my mind on things above, my heart is filled with grace because of the grace that God has poured out on me. If he's brought me, then I can trust him with them. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, in dealing with your relationships. Love suffers long and is kind. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. That means it protects. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. As I wrap things up here, John 13, 35 says, By all this, or by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He defines what love is, and then he says, here's the importance of it. You have a job to do. You're supposed to be reflecting me to creation. That can't happen if there's not love. There's not going to be love if there's not prayer because your eyes are going to be on the things that you want and not on the things that he wants. Grace can only come from spending time with the author of grace, the Heavenly Father. That love can only come from the God who is love. When I love like God has called me to, he gets the glory even if I feel trampled sometimes. Isn't that what Jesus did with me? Isn't it while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us, that Christ chose us? I'm so glad that God doesn't come to me based on my merit. Oh, I'm so glad that when he says, be holy for I'm holy, I'll never reach that on my own. He says, I'll help you. I'll put my holiness in you. There's grace. Healthy expectations. Ask yourself today, and whatever that disappointment in relationship was, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Am I looking out for them or for me? Am I loving with ice cream when that's not, that's not speaking the right language? Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine what relationships would be like if that became the competition? If it wasn't, I want to produce more than my sister or I want to be attractive more than my sister. If it wasn't, if it wasn't those, and it became, no, I want to bless my sister. I'm going to rejoice for her, for the children she has. I'm going to be so happy for her that she's beautiful and she's found her man. What if, what if we started trying to outdo one another in showing honor? Healthy expectations. Do I take the bait? When that person's eyes aren't on the Lord and they throw that hook out there and you know, oh yeah, you want to talk. Do I take the bait? Or does love suffer long? Is it kind? Am I being honest? Are you having the gentle but real dialogue about what the expectations are and how they can be met? Do they even know what you're looking for? 
You can't have excellence without expectations. You can't have healthy expectations without talking about it. Because sometimes it's going to be, I can't meet that need for you. I need to tell you up front, I can't meet that need for you. Are we having these conversations? Once it's outlined, then there can be accountability. And there can be goals. And there can be grace. But if we've never even outlined it, you asking them to read your mind? Do you bear with them when they fail in order to help them succeed next time? Do you encourage them so that they can get there? And here's the big question. When is it time to confront or forgive? And are they mutually exclusive? I'm pretty confident I can confront and forgive walk in love because that's what Jesus does with me go and sin no more grace confrontation instruction my life's never going to be perfect but God's word is when we follow it I find my expectations become a lot more realistic and they're met far more often when I'm in prayer my goals change and my desires change I want to encourage you first Wednesday man what a beautiful time we had at this last one but are we doing what we said remember we handed out the cards are we tricking ourselves into just saying man that was a nice time of prayer and then leaving it there or am I following through on the commitment that I made where's Rob Miller Rob I got your dad here and I'm praying with you brother I'm believing that God's going to do that work. I'm going to come alongside you. And my family's going to be praying with you. We're on vacation this week. I get to have dinner with my family every single night. We're going to be praying for your dad every single night. Because that's what the church does. We carry one another. We walk with one another. We bear one another's burdens. We show what love really is. Lord, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you that the expectations that you set on us, man, they're real and you outline them. But you send us your Holy Spirit as the helper, the one who comes alongside. I thank you that so often you've already laid the groundwork. We just need to walk in obedience. Lord, I lift up the relationships, the interpersonal relationships. I lift up the marriages. I lift up parents and children and siblings. Lord, I pray that we would start to define our expectations based off of your will and not off of our desires. I pray, God, that we would start to do the work of serving one another and outdoing one another in honor. And I pray, God, that as they see our love one for another, that they all would know that we're your disciples because we reflect you so well. I don't ever want to do anything that takes away from your good name or your glory. Lord, I want to serve you in a way where you get the glory. Thank you for your grace. Help us as we offer it to those around us. Help us in our conversations. Help us in our prayer life. Help us to be who you've made us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Pastor Pat, would you close us out?